After suffering an awful, terrible, very close, most fans would have suspected it wasn't going to be a loss to the Dirty Birds, the Texans are back in Houston, and the Saints are bringing a piece of Bourbon Street to the H. Hopefully, the Texans can send them back to Bourbon Street with the L. We're going to talk about it today on the bullpen. And welcome to the bullpen. I am James. This is Tom. We we host this show. Um, I'm just gonna get right at it. Um, I've been to Bourbon Street. Have you been to Bourbon Street? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I actually fun story and I, I Saints fans to me personally are a, a um obnoxious bunch. And I know that because when I was 16, I went to the Superdome to see the Texans play. This was back in 2012. This was like the season. I believe we lost the game. Was, I went in the preseason, and then I went to the regular season the next season. I can't remember which one was which. But at the regular season game, a Saints fan actually threw a beer at me. I was in my, like, re- battle red Andre Johnson jersey, and I believe Schaub hit, like, James Campbell or like, James uh, – I can't remember his name. He's from Rice, fullback tight end guy. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no, never mind. It wasn't him. He hit Owen Daniels on a nice deep pass, and I was like, oh, yes. And then I got a beer thrown at me, so that's why I don't like Saints fans. But do you do you have any experience with Saints fans? Not really. I mean, I know some. I've got some good friends that are Saints fans being from there. Um, I've never been to a game there, an, a regular season game. I went to a preseason game there. Very, very chill. Very, very mellow. No beers were thrown. <laughs> no people were hurt in the making of that production. No, yeah, I mean, so my dad was stationed in Gulfport. I I went graduated high school on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, so I know quite a few Saints fans. Um, it's an interesting group of people. So I don't I don't hate all of them because that would mean that I didn't have any friends in high school. Although that I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be true for that to be the case. But uh, anyway, getting into the football aspect, the Saints just got Derek Carr. Um, Michael Thomas seems like he's back to form to some extent. I think he's getting a little help from Chris Olave being there from just a generally decent receiving core out there in New Orleans. But this team looks like it could be a problem. When I was looking at this NFC South stretch that the Texans are in, the Saints were a matchup that I was like, if I'm guessing three and one, the Saints could be the loss or the Buccaneers. Like, and, And if I'm guessing two and two, it's because I think both of them are. And so now having already lost to the Falcons, um, I guess, my first question is, is, is how do you feel about this stretch against the NFC South now? What's your new record prediction, knowing that we already lost to the Falcons? I feel about the same. I, I'm more concerned with how good the Saints looked against the New England Patriots. I realize they're a bad team, but that was a really well-rounded win. I mean, the defense was phenomenal. The offense didn't do a ton, but they were efficient, and they put up a ton of points. So that makes me think that the Saints are going to be riding high coming out of that game. And you really feel like, like you said, there are enough weapons there with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave, who didn't have to do a whole lot for them to win. And then you talk about uh, Alvin Kamara. You talk about Taysom Hill, who's a gadget guy. Uh, tight ends, Jawan Johnson, Foss Moreau. I mean, there's a lot to, to unpack with the Saints. 
Yeah, and I want to say I was watching the game at halftime when it returned, and you know those graphics they put up on the screen where they're like, what the team could be doing better and like what they did last half and what they need to improve on to win the game. And you know the game is going bad. The Patriots graphic literally said, needs to be better at all three facets of the game. And that's how you know you're having a bad day. My brother-in-law's a Patriots fan, and I made sure to point it out to him. I was like, hey, man, look, your team's having a bad day right now. This is not going well for you. But... I mean, I agree with you that the weapons are there. Um, from what I've seen from a lot of like QB gurus, because that seems like all we have on social media is, is ex-QBs that didn't start in the NFL and barely played that now know everything about quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, they know more than I do, of course. Um, but a lot of them are saying that Derek Carr's looking a little lazy with his footwork, that he's looking not quite the old Derek Carr that he was. Um, I, either way... I think Derek Carr's a massive improvement on their quarterback situation last year. Um, obviously not better than Drew Brees, but certainly puts them in a better place. I think that it gives me reason to be a little bit concerned um, on a, the defensive side for the Texans, but not too much. My, my deeper concern, once I feel like I say this every week, but historically, re recently, the Saints defense has been something to be concerned about. And so the Texans offense is going to have another defense that's supposed to test them this week. And the question is, can they, can they rise to beat that? Can they produce points? Can they score in the red zone? Can they do what they need to do to make sure that, that they win this game? And I think that battle to me is what it, it's going to come down to. But I, I'd like to get your take on, on where you think the focus should be this week for the Texans. What, what is the battle that's going to make or break the team? Do you think if there is one, I feel like what, has already been a, a really successful story so far for the Texans should be the focus because it's really what undid the new England Patriots. And that's protecting the football. When you look at the way this game got started, the saints didn't do anything offensively that made you go, Oh wow, this is a juggernaut offensively. They scored their first touchdown on a pick or on a fumble or interception, interception. a pick six. Yeah, it was pick six. So, I mean, their offense struggled to get anything going, and then their defense generated points, which got the rest of their game going. Then their defense forced a missed field goal, and that just kind of snowballed, 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 where I feel like the Texans have been so good protecting the football that if you force these guys to, to travel the distance of the field and not make it short, then you have an opportunity to really have to make these guys make first downs where the Texans defense hasn't been terrible has been great but it's been been don't break a lot and this is a, a situation where i think that that will keep them in this ball game yeah and i think we established earlier this week i think both of us see this the same but you can correct me if i'm wrong um it's gonna be very important that the texans offense gets going early and that they set a tone of, of scoring um touchdowns in the red zone we can talk about the specifics but realistically the defense needs some assurance that the offense is going to score and they need a break so the offense needs to sustain drives that was not something we necessarily saw a lot of last week um not to say that the offense like just went three and out all the time but but the defense deteriorated throughout the game and we and they didn't really get any offensive scoring support until it was too late till you know it, until the defense was put in, you know, backs against the wall with a one-point lead and, you know, I don't care if it's Desmond Ritter or whoever, that, that the Falcons team was rolling. And so the Texans were just put in a bad spot by the offense. Um, there was a lot going wrong last week, but that was, I mean, a focus for me. But really what I'd like to hone in on with this matchup is, is do you think 
that there's reason to be concerned with our secondary matching up with these receivers. Like I, I wasn't concerned about it until last week watching what kind of how, because Drake London wasn't a guy that was on my radar. Uh, Kyle Pitts seemed like he was destined to be a, a blocking tight end that can't block similar to like a, a Brevin Jordan type. Um, and, and now that's not the case, I guess, because the Texans let him put up a bunch of yards. So how do you think our secondary matches up with this receiving court? I'm really interested to see if we get uh, Shaquille Griffin back because I feel like while he's not at any elite uh, corner, I feel he's very serviceable and he was missed in the Falcons game. So while Steven Nelson's been great, obviously Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie are great, that that next corner up, uh, albeit Shaq Griffin or Tavio Thomas, really has to be able to hold their own with somebody like Mike Thomas, where I feel like Steve Nelson's probably going to get uh, Chris Olave. And that's really going to be a big focus. If you have to roll help over with a Jimmy Ward or something like that, then you open up the middle of the field for some of their tight end action. And you are going to have to remember Alvin Kamara's starting to round into form this game. He was 20 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. I think that's a guy that can definitely hurt you too. So just going to be important for those guys to really do their thing. I think another thing that that's really going to help them is getting really good pass rush by Jonathan Grenard and uh, Will Anderson because they really didn't have a ton of success with Atlanta, and I felt like that was a place they could win. And a, a lot of people uh, in the defense of – now, I need to clarify before I talk on this point because I'm about to say some things that some people might mistake as my own opinions. Um, but Will Anderson Jr. is number three overall pick and has one sack on the season. It's week five. And there are a lot of people that just watch the stat, the sack number that are going, hey, what's up? What's wrong? And then there's other people that are saying things like, well, you know, Deacon Jones said that he'd rather have a pressure than a sack. Look at the pressure numbers. Will Anderson's there. The sacks will come. And then what we're seeing is, is that this past week, Desmond Ritter faced basically zero pressure. I'm pretty sure the number was actually zero. Um, in terms of QB pressures, the pass rush quite literally didn't exist. And so w- when we when we look at that, we have to ask the question of uh, what's going on and is will is, is it's not all on Will Anderson. I don't think it is. I think that going into the season, we thought that Jonathan Grenard was that that force across from him. Um, I think there's a lot of pass rush numbers that would show that Jerry Hughes has, has shown up in a way in, in the sample that he's been given. Um, that might indicate that he might need more play time while Will Anderson adjusts to the pro level. Um, but th- there are some people that will tell you that Will Anderson, having been picked number three overall, should just be there. He should just be ready to play at the pro level and that this is an indictment on his whole career. I'm not ready to go to that point yet. Um, there's been one too many number three overall picks in the Texans history that have been indicted after less than the time needed to really judge that pick. But... I do agree with you that the pass rush, and to me, that that's really the most important point because, um, I mean, I looking at Derek Carr when Derek Carr has time, I I don't care what some you know second rate quarterback who has a YouTube channel is saying about his footwork. If Derek Carr has the time, he's going to hit throw. It doesn't matter what his footwork looks like. So, getting that pressure on him, which has been a consistent problem this season, regardless of what some advanced stat metrics say about what Will Anderson Jr. and them are doing. Um, in terms of quarterback pressure and yards away from the passer when the ball is released on average, which, sure, cool. 
I, I mean, at the end of the day, need to get into space and we need to apply a pass rush. And a pass rush usually has a product of, you know, a sack or some some sort of QB hit. And it seemed like we left Desmond Ritter untouched. I think that it's it's paramount that the Texans, you know, look around, dig deep, and find a pass rush because it's going to be pretty vital in this game. I, I have a lot more reason to be concerned in this game than I did going into last week personally. I don't know. How do you do you feel like the Saints are a more difficult matchup than the Falcons or with hindsight being 2020, right? Seeing what we saw from the Falcons, do you think we see a similar game or do you think the Saints are a more difficult matchup and you have like a different outcome occurring? I feel like it's going to be a similar game for a couple of reasons. One, it's going to be played on Kirby in Houston as opposed to on the road. I think this team is really going to feed off the fans. I think that, uh, you know, home field is going to be an advantage. Uh, it's It was a little different with the Steelers because they travel so well. I don't know that the Saints are going to travel as well. At least I hope they don't. I also think that the defense should perform better because Ritter was able to move around a little bit, use his legs to extend plays, and Der- uh, Derek Carr is not that dude. You know, he's, he's going to be on a spot. You get him off a spot, you're going to have success. So I think that's going to be an advantage that they have going into this game that they didn't have in Atlanta where Desmond Ritter ran for a touchdown. I mean, I don't see Derek Carr running for a touchdown this game. Yeah, and and actually it's fun. You know, a lot of this discussion is going to be Derek Carr because Derek Carr is a pretty big name. Um, it's been interesting this offseason and leading into the season seeing a lot of the talk around the difference between Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo in uh, Vegas because apparently, you know, Derek Carr is the – all right, guys, let's take a pause from practice and have a prayer circle and think about what we just did because, you know, we need to pray to God that we get better. And Jimmy Garoppolo is like, hey, you know, he, he's a, a an expli- expletive-laden trash talk guy. He is going to he's gonna get in your face and let you know he doesn't care what size you are or who you are. He's going he's gonna, to um, he's gonna tear you apart. As soon as it gets on the field, he's all business. Um and so those are two different kinds of leadership styles. And I think in the past we've seen Derek Carr's leadership style work. I'm interested to see if the Saints are taking to it. So far this season, I think it's hard to know because of the results that we've seen. The Saints have been pretty up and down um, playing against like a very a pretty varied schedule of teams. And so I, I haven't exactly – we haven't reached a point in the season where I can look at a team and go, okay, you've played enough talent. And you've played enough of your schedule that I'm pretty confident in like what you are. So I, I just really the, – the Falcons game obviously has knocked me down a notch in terms of my expectations of like what's supposed to happen week in and week out. But with that in mind, the Texans are a team that have probably – you know during the offseason it was determined to be the easiest schedule based on win record last year. Looking at it, I think we're not going to get the, the same Bengals that a lot of teams got you know, early in the season as evidenced by their their play against the Cardinals, which I know the Cardinals are not a great team, but they did win. It was decisive. Jamar Chase was back to form. Um, but looking at the Texan schedule, it's a team where I go, oh, yeah, we win that game, we win that game, we can win that game, we can win that game, because it's just a weak schedule, whereas these other teams have had, like, more challenges. So the Saints are a team that ever since Drew Brees was there, and even in the off years that have happened since, I'm – I'm usually pretty keen to be concerned about, but I do hope we march. I have a coworker who's a Saints fan, and I hope we march, march into NRG and and send the Saints go marching out, you know, away with the the L. But 
all that being said, do, do you have any specific knowledge on the Saints defense? Because Cam Jordan is pretty much my knowledge of the Saints defense. And then Paulette Adebo is one of their corners. Um, I mean, I, I've looked at a lot of their players from an IDP dynasty perspective. And, and you know, there's some players that I desired to have on my team that I didn't end up getting to acquire. But I just I don't specifically know why I'm worried about the Saints defense. It's like I told you earlier. I just look at that team and I go, yeah, that's the same Saints that's always had a good defense. So I don't know. I mean, they have Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. Yeah, okay. he had he he had the uh, the pick six. Uh, Pete Warner, another another decent there guy. It is. Uh, you talk about uh, Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore. There's some names there that there are. you know have had successful careers. Um, they're they're on the backside, but I mean. They still play well together as a unit. So um, I don't think that's going to dissuade me from saying that the Texans can move the football or score when you think about the two defenses they've just faced. I can't see the Saints being much better than them. I think really the Saints just played a really poor New England team, and some of that stuff's a little inflated. We'll have to see. I mean, they're 3-2, and two, so... I'm trying not to factor in the matchup between the Patriots and the Saints too heavy, but watching them win by that much is still something that that is in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about it when I when I think about it. To to focus in on the Texans a little more, um, this week we could possibly see Juice Scruggs come back, and so I not really directly correlated to the Saints Texans game, but just a question that I have for you because I've seen it discussed a lot on the the Twitter log um, is that. Jarrett Patterson's been great at center. He's held it down. Um, the te- it, we talked to Desmond Ritter's pressure percentage earlier and how the Texans' pass rush was basically not there. The Falcons' pass rush was mitigated significantly. I believe the pressure percentage was like 4% over the course of the entire game on C.J. Stroud. He didn't really face very much pressure at all, um, which could have been more on him than the offensive line, but either way, I'm going to call it on the offensive line. Um, but Jared Patterson's been great. Juice Scruggs is coming back. So do you bump um, Titus Howard back to right tackle and you put Juice Scruggs at guard? Do you put Jarrett Patterson at guard? How, how do you shuffle the offensive line knowing Juice Scruggs is coming back? Does Juice, does Juice have a spot automatically because of what he looked like leading into things or what? I don't know. That's a great question. I don't think any of us can really figure out that answer. We're just going to have to watch and see what they do uh, in the upcoming practices, how they, uh, you know, line up what the first unit looks like. I mean, the only guy that I think really has that answer or the only guys I should say is D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick. Um, yeah. I think whatever they run out there is going to be just fine. I really don't think that any, any combination of those guys is going to be worse than what they've been dealing with the entire season. I think all, it's only going to make them better. It's only going to make them a better run defense or run offense. I'm sorry. It's only going to make them a better pass offense. So I'm looking forward to healthy bodies. I don't care where they go. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I also, I think it's interesting now, if you remember during draft season, and I was a big proponent of it, you know, it was like, obviously the Texans have to take a center in the second round, third round, wherever they can get one, is John Michael Schmitz, Joe Tippman. And I'm watching the Jets game earlier, and I hear, oh, Joe Tippman's limping off the field. And I'm looking at all these advanced metrics and stats on those guys, and I'm like, dang, we went from like, we need to draft high to get one to like, oh, well, you know, we'll take, you know, Juice Scruggs around the spot we wanted to take those other guys, and everyone's frustrated. And then we go later into the draft. You know I was frustrated by the Juice Scruggs pick. You were there when I reacted to that happening. 
Um, I, I had to eat some crow on that one. But uh, but then watching and being like, in the sixth round, Jarrett Patterson, and I'm like, who who is this? Why are we doing this to ourselves? And now those two guys are legitimately in a competition or like really just legitimate options to start on the Texans' offensive line. And I think it speaks to um, – we, we don't say it enough. I, I got to give credit where credit's due. Nick Casario has done a good job. Um, it kind of mirrors what the 49ers have done, even though we haven't seen a lot of the fruition of it. This most recent draft, I feel like we're starting to see the late round picks hit. And that's what needs to happen with a team like ours is you need to develop some talent from the later rounds in order to start seeing the team jump from the absolute worst to, hey, that's a team that could be or is good. So I, I thought that was interesting. That's really the main reason I brought up the discussion on Juice Scruggs. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll get into our keys for victory and then we can do our predictions and I'll do the, the storybook ending. Um, (laughs) but what, what have we got in the keys for victory? If, if I, you know, the Rolls Royce keys or, or we got like the old geo Metro, uh, piece of crap, 1980s Toyota Corolla, which one, which one are we taking? What's the Rolls Royce keys? That's what I'm going for. What are we doing? I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily see high-powered offense or anything like that. Give me the, uh, you know, Chevy Silverado keys. I guess you know, fifteen hundred crew cab. That's all yep, you really need. Yep, yep. That's all you really need. Uh, I, as I look at the, the the games that the the Saints have played, you know, they played a bunch of tough ball games, really close. Provided that the team didn't, you know, beat, you know, the other team didn't beat themselves. I really look at that Patriots game as the one outlier when you look at some of the other games. So I think it's going to just be really key for the Texans to protect the football, which they've done a phenomenal job doing. And uh, just just continue to take what is given versus trying to force action. Because although they did not win this Atlanta game, and I know people are going to point to all the field goals, I really think that for a young team, success of any kind is the way to go. And I think putting points on the board and continuing to try to build that way, albeit not the touchdowns that you hope to see is better than, you know, turning the ball over or turning it over on downs, trying to force action. Yeah, I, I see your point. I mean, personally, the way I look at it is, is that um, I compared to Dusty Baker. I know Dusty Baker's a, 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 you know, a divisive figure in the Astros fan base. But he's that mixture of old school and, you know, new school that he brings um, more old school than new school. But Zach Grenke spoke to how one of his favorite managers to play for is Dusty Baker because he felt like Dusty had confidence in him. He left him in in situations other managers wouldn't. Has that been beneficial to the Astros at points this season? I don't know. Maybe probably not. But at the end of the day, what it is, is that I feel like with D'Amico, the vote of confidence is, is that if we're not on our own, you know, 30 yard line, right? If we're midfield or, or in enemy territory and it's a fourth or two or shorter, fourth and two or shorter, that that confidence that you show in your team to, to go out and get that first down, I think is vital to their mentality of like, hey, coach believes in us so we can go out and do this. And so I, I do see your point, And I think that there are there are situations where it's warranted to take the field goal and you know, not put yourself in a bad spot. But at the same time, in today's league, with a lot of the the, the direction the league is moving in, um, there are situations like on fourth and one at the twenty yard line to start the game with no score. I, I mean, 
obviously we know at the end of the day they they lost and the only their only chance at winning came from having th- those three points but at that point in the game with no points from either team you're not setting yourself up to be significantly behind by maybe missing on a fourth and one uh, or going for it but i, I mean w- we can agree to di- to disagree on on what coaching philosophy to use to approach that as far as my keys to victory go um i i mean i, I know you just talked about how it's take what you can get um I, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say that they should be going for it on fourth downs and just pushing the envelope, but in the red zone, they need to convert touchdowns. It needs to happen. I've said it a hundred times, and I've also said that I've said it a hundred times, a hundred times. So at this point, I'm not going to go through the whole spiel, but score touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, defensively, I think that last week's game was was as it needed to be. I, I felt like the, the gas ran out late, late on. Um, some blown coverage on that last drive set up a field goal that you know probably could have been prevented, but overall throughout that game, I didn't feel like the defense was the issue. You don't you don't have a defense that gets two turnovers and say yeah the issue was the defense. I mean we look back to the Packers in uh, 2010, and that that defense was very middle of the road, upper middle. They're, I'm not going to paint it like they were an awful defense, but the big reason that that Packers team was really great and won was that they got turnovers. And when you get turnovers and you hand the ball to Aaron Rodgers, who in that year was really great, um, you, you set your team up to score points. So I, turn, the turnover issue, I, I, if anything, the key to victory is to continue forcing turnovers, continue swarming, getting the ball. In fact, get some touchdowns on defense instead of getting tackled at, you know, by the quarterback on a fumble recovery return, looking at you, Petrie. Get down the field and score a touchdown, set your team up to win. Um and that's me, a guy who you know, rode the bench in high school. So take take that <laughs> take that for what you will. But yeah, so defensively capitalize on turnovers. Offensively capitalize on turnovers and score touchdowns in the red zone. That is it for me. And with that, let's get into score predictions. I want to hear what you have to say about this game. I'm interested because I have no, legitimately no clue what you're going to say. I, I almost don't even know what I'm going to say. So to to kind of you know tailor my prediction i took a minute and i went and i looked back at all the scores for the saints team to just kind of understand what kind of team i feel like i'm dealing with week 1 saints win a game 16-15 against the titans okay. not a barn burner week 2 the saints win 20 to 17 against the panthers again the panthers are over Tennessee, eh, they've got talent, but I, I mean, I don't know if I feel that Tannehill's the be-all, end-all. They didn't look great this week. It's interesting because I feel like I, I don't know how we stack up against the Titans, but I know we're better than the Panthers. Yeah. So but then yeah. week three, they lose a game 17-18 to the Packers, which if you've seen the Packers play, you don't feel confident in them either. Week four, they lose a game Twenty-six to nine to the Bucks. Bucks is on the schedule again. Not a big scoring uh, uh, game. I really can't see this team scoring more than twenty points if you don't do it for them. Then you look to this past week where they beat New England thirty-four to nothing. Pick six, turnover, turnover, so on and so forth. Okay. So for me, I feel like this is going to be a twenty-four fifteen Texans win. I feel like this is something where the offense is going to feed off of the crowd. 
The defense is going to feed off of the crowd. I think because it's at home and not on the road, you'll see D'Amico take those fourth and one chances on the 20 so that he does not uh, introduce the road crowd noise. He'll feed off of his home team. And I think that is where you're going you're gonna to see the return of Nico Collins. I think he could have a big game. He's a, he's a man-to-man beater. I don't think the secondary for the Saints is as talented as the Falcons is. And I think this is also a, a spot where I feel like Damian Pierce gets in the box. Okay. Um, I'll take your prediction. And I you know, personally, leading up to this, I've been thinking about a three-point deficit. I, I see the merit in you talking about the, the Saints now that you've, you've outlined their previous matchups. I, I've looked at them to some extent. I've not looked at them together in that, that kind of close accompaniment. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the tech. I think the Texans can put 20 up again, roundabout. I mean, 19, 20, six one way, half a dozen the other. Um, and then I'm going to put the Saints at 17. I think that this tech Texans team is a young team and they could set the Saints up to get a couple points maybe. Um, but as long, like you said, as long as they don't beat themselves, um, this should be a close and good game. And so to get into the storybook time, story, story, fairy tale ending, well, we're going to come up with a name for it. We don't have it yet. Um, but okay. So this time I get to talk about the end too, since I didn't predict like some obscenely far apart game, which by the way, you know how dumb 27 to 10 for that game with the Texans win looks in hindsight. I, you shouldn't trust anything I say. By the way, I'm 0 for 5 on, on predicting the the storybook ending. So so take this with a grain of salt. Don't go to Vegas with this information. Um, so the Texans are down 17 to or 17 to 13. Okay, they coming off a Kaimi Fairbairn field goal. Field goal. Derek Carr's got the ball. The Saints are like kind of in that awkward state. There's like five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter so like they're kind of trying to move the ball but really just to get the clock going because they 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 almost want to put up like an an exclamation point on the game but they also don't want to risk it and their their hesitancy is going to be the the death of them they kind of look oh you know the texas defense is tired so they move past midfield they're getting towards field goal range the clock's ticking two minutes left and then Derek Carr drops back. It's like a it's like a third and seven. So you know they're like, well, we're gonna pass. What's the worst that could happen? Two minute warnings there anyways. Drops back, throws it shallow, and then Blake Cashman comes up, takes the ball, tackled at the line of scrimmage, and now C.J. Stroud is set up for yet another drive. This time it's actually two minute drill. Two minute warning just happened, and he moves the most methodical drive you've ever seen. He's hitting short passes out move in and then and then they're at the 40 yard line he hits nico with a nice 30 yard dot sets us up at the freaking uh at the saints 30 yard line and then hits you know john mechie with a little 10 yard out sets us moves into the red zone clocks ticking clocks it it's you know 30 seconds left and then he drops back they boot him roll him right and he's he's rolling out and who is it but dalton schultz once again just in the end zone. But CJ doesn't look to Dalton. He goes across his body and hits Nico Collins in the opposite corner of the end zone. And, I, and, and I'm referencing here 
what Peyton Manning did in in the Super Bowl against the Saints, where he went across his body, but in that case, he threw a pick because no quarterback can go across his body very well. Ask Brett Favre, ask any quarterback ever. But CJ just guns it 30 yards down the field. Nico, there's no one near him. They're not even looking at him. Touchdown. Texans win the game. I have to be ultra-specific with these so that there's no risk of anyone thinking that I actually know what's going on. <laughs> You're like, this is getting ridiculous. I really hope for everybody's sanity that nothing like this happens because that is, sounds like stress, 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 edge of your seat, stress, stress. Can you imagine the narratives that would be floating around when people are like, wait, CJ Stroud threw across his body rolling right to the left corner of the end zone from 30 yards out to Nico Collins and didn't get picked off? The CBS guys are over there going, no, 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 no. No, no. Don't don't do this to us. We're going to have to talk about you all week this week like we already are because CJ Stroud now holds the record for most attempts to start a career without an interception. He also actually holds the record for the most completions to start a career without an interception. Um, Patrick Storm cleared that up for young Ari Gold on Twitter. Saw it happen, and I trust it. So, all right. We've given our predictions. You've heard the fairy tale ending. Let us know. Hit us up. You know, I'm M1 Texans fan on social media. You got Third Coast Tom over there. You, you can let us know on, on Twitter or, or whatever social media you prefer if if you think that what our predictions were were good bad ugly who knows but on that note um it's been a great week this week on the bullpen we we this is this preview is the last thing you're going to see from us before the texans take on the saints next week um tentatively we have scheduled john crumpler to come on the show uh midweek still haven't ironed out the specifics on that one but you know you'll know when I know, because I'll put it out there so that y'all know that I know that we know that it's happening. Um, but until then, you can find us on YouTube, all the socials that I just said. Um, if you like what you're hearing, seeing, or however it is you're consuming this content, you should definitely do what people do on the platform you're on when they like it, because um, that would be really good. Subscribe, comment, however it is that you show love. Right, Tom? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. This has been the bullpen. I've been James for that's been Tom. Thanks for hanging out with us, talking Texans with us. And until next week, H town forever, or it's H town till I drown. There we go. Got it. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. See ya.